you wherever you are. Just a, one or two housekeeping notices for your help with us. Um, should there be any reason to evacuate, then the doors will be that way. Facilities, toilets, or through that door down the corridor to the corridor. You've been given luggage labels. Um, the idea behind that is to put on something that you want to be considered a thought, a memory, and it sort of proves you have kind of already um, put their luggage labels on. Please do that before you leave. We'd be very grateful and kind of enjoy reading through those, I'm sure. We've come to celebrate Jim's life. Some of you will recognize more of those photographs than others. It's almost like he has a biography, and each of us comes with a different chapter. As far as my wife and I are concerned, my name is Chandra and my connection with Jim and Jim is through the church here. And we feel like we've come in on the end chapter, but some of you, I dare say, go back way back further than that. So we're going to celebrate his life and give thanks to God. Jesus said this at a time when he was facing the death of a friend. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Please join me as we open our hearts in prayer to God. At this difficult time for us all, in the context of Jesus' words in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. God, our Father, thank you, my dad, Jim, for his hope in you. At this time of sadness and sorrow, help us to take great comfort in the many words and claims of your son, Jesus. We thank you for Jim's great faith and certainty that his life has not ended but merely started its next chapter. We thank you for life on earth and the promise of eternal life in you. Thank you that Jim believed what Jesus said when he pronounced both I am the bread of life and I am the living water. We are all too aware of the fragility of life and our dependence on basics such as food and drink. Thank you for the care Jim received when he needed it most for those who cared for him to keep him comfortable. We take this opportunity to uphold all those who provide care and support in difficult circumstances and end-of-life situations. Thank you for the gifts, the patience, wisdom and strength that doctors, nurses and care assistants give out. Thank you that Jim shaped his life on the words that Jesus explained, I am the true vine. We praise you for the fruit produced in Jim's ministry here at Hurstensea and throughout all his call-ins at Crowhurst and the Hastings area. Would you release more of your healing and deliverance, comfort and support as we think back to Jim's calling? We give thanks to those who devote their life in service to others. Thank you that Jim was devoted to bringing great glory to the Father. Help us all to find our way, to find our calling, to build our lives on your promises secure a foundation on peace that passes all our understanding. Lord Jesus, thank you that Jim believed and threw his whole being into the words 
I am the good shepherd. We praise you, Lord, that you hold us in your hands. You are our protector and our guide. Thank you that Jim knew your voice. He heard your voice and he followed you home according to your will. We take great comfort in witnessing his faithfulness to you and your faithfulness to him throughout his life. Guide us all in the coming days as we seek to go on with our lives, taking hope, love and peace with us as Jim would want. Lord Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth and the life. For those who feel lost in being left behind, would you show us the way? For those who are bombarded with countless promises, show us your truth. For those who struggle to make sense of the seasons of this life, would you breathe your abundant life in us? Jesus, Prince of Peace, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Giver of Life. We pray for Jenny particularly and uphold her to you as she seeks to adjust and come to terms and work through the loss of her dear husband and friend. Be with all who grieve and mourn the loss of Jim and others dear to them. Help us all to hold fond memories in our hearts, wise words in our minds, and to hold each other in our arms. I'd like to close with the familiar words of the Lord's Prayer, and I invite you all to join in with me if it's familiar to you. We say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours. We're going to sing, There is a Redeemer. The words should come up behind you. Please stand and listen.
Tuesday is going to come and talk to about his lifelong friend, Jim. He will come and tell us about him. Personal friend, in so many chapters of Jim's life, so some of it may be chapters of parts of the book that you're not familiar with. Um, but uh, I hope you enjoy it nevertheless. Um, Jim was born in Edmonton, in London, in March 1948, uh, following Pat and Tony as the last of his parents' three children. His father was a warrant officer in the Royal Corps of Signals, and uh, in the mid-1950s, the family went with him to a posting in Cyprus. This, of course, was the era of the Aoka crisis, um, but fortunately, the family left before the violence started. Now, Jim and Jenny returned to northern Cyprus for a holiday some years ago, uh, and Jim was absolutely delighted to be able to locate the house where he'd lived with his family, uh, complete with bullet holes, bullet holes in the wall. Um, returning to England, the Douglas Beveridges spent time in Gloucester before settling in Hastings in the early 1960s. Jim started at Hastings Grammar School, where he and I, Martin Galvin, Bill Pinnock, who's here, Jerry Parsons, and others became good friends. Like many teenagers in the 1960s, Jim and I shared a deep interest in guitars and guitar music, and with others formed various bands of varying qualities, I hasten to add. Jim appointed himself stage technician as well as bass player, and his self-belief in being able to fix anything was first revealed as he assured us that he could correct that buzz or crackle that was coming out of the amplifier, and not to worry about the occasional tingly feeling travelling up the strings of one's instrument. <laughs> Jim's home in Oakwood Close Hastings was not far from that of a young Jenny Hawes. And on the walk home from school, coy glances were sometimes exchanged, I understand. Jenny tells me that her father was impressed by the tall young man who passed the house from time to time and suggested that he should be invited to her 16th birthday party in 1962. Well, the rest is history. I'm avoiding the term arranged marriage, incidentally, here, but <laughs> <coughs> there are inklings. Jenny became Jim's girlfriend and in 1970 his wife, lifelong companion, and mother of Chris, Jonathan, Paul, and David. Jenny also became uh, the most loyal fan of the Outcasts, our final and legendary R&B band, pictures of which you've seen on the screen earlier on and are available for modest fees. Well, Jim and I thought we were legends anyway, and some others may have had different ideas, though we did we did win the Hastings Beat Festival of 1964, I think it was. The temptations of a rock and roll lifestyle did not distract Jim too severely from his education, nor indeed from his keen involvement in the grammar school's combined cadet force, which taught him to fly a glider and nurtured a lifelong interest in an extensive knowledge of aeroplanes. 
He loved air shows and was a regular at the Eastbourne and Shoreham shows and occasionally Bigham Hill. Grammar school days over, Jim decided to pursue a career in surveying. Uh, he was taken on the, by the Rye firm of Vidler & Co and later moved to a post with Folkestone Council. Studying in his own time, he eventually qualified with the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors and advanced on the career ladder, joining the District Valuers Office in Dover and then progressing again with a role in Havens in Hampshire. Both Jim and Jenny had retained a great affection for their hometown and when an opportunity arose to join Hastings estate agent Vince as a partner, Jim took it. Later, having developed professional links with the Borough Council, he was recruited as the Borough's Estates Manager and went on to help the town realise the value of many of its land assets to the benefit of the community. He joined the Round Table and helped with various charitable projects. Now, like Jenny, Jim had been brought up as a Christian, but in his younger years had no involvement in the church. However, after Jenny was baptised in 1983, he experienced something of an epiphany, and his resolute faith was established. He and Jenny became involved initially in St. Helen's Church in Hastings, then at Duke Road Evangelical Church in Silver Hill and Rye Baptist Church. Jim put his music, musical talents to good use as well as helping lead worship. He also became interested in the healing ministry and became a trustee at the Crowhurst Christian Healing Centre. Jim's devotion led him to a course providing theological training and as the opportunity for early retirement from the Borough Council approached, he decided to pursue a strongly felt mission to become a pastor. His ambition was fulfilled here in Hurstman Zoo and his devotion to this church began a happy involvement that lasted for eight years. Retirement from local government and his part-time role at Hurstman Zoo left time for Jim and Jenny to enjoy holidays in their camper van and in more recent years ocean cruises. Jim also pursued his many other interests. He'd always been an enthusiastic collector of toys, pottery, pictures, and of course, guitars, many, many guitars. He accumulated a quite astonishing collection of instruments of all styles and in all conditions, and he loved nothing more than what he termed a project. He acquired one interesting model while on a cruise to Norway and set about restoration work in his and Jenny's cabin. His classic Reliance Scimitar was another uh, of his ongoing projects, as was his small cabin cruiser on the Robber. Jim was never happier than taking on a challenge. If he could mend it or fix it himself, he would. And if he couldn't, he'd still have a go. He had an enduring belief in equipment that probably should have been taken out of commission. One spring, he asked me to help him take the cabin cruiser from his driveway in Hastings to the river at Newenden, using a boat trolley that, in my view, seriously was in need of some spot welding. So there we were, approaching Northium, when my attention through the passenger window was caught by the sight of a wheel overtaking the car. <laughs> Rather like a scene from a Tom and Jerry cartoon. The bolts on the trailer had sheared off. I immediately suggested calling the AA, but the ever-resourceful Jim assured me that if we could hobble to Northium, the local hardware store <laughs> could provide nuts and bolts, <laughs> allowing him to reunite the wheel with the trolley. 
And of course, that's exactly what he did. <coughs> Our group of friends enjoyed many happy days uh, on the boat, on the rubber, which was kitted out economically and somewhat eccentrically in true Jim style, with a bar stool as the helmsman's, helmsman's seat, milk crates as auxiliary seating, and a washing line serving as the control cable to the outboard. But it all worked, just about, and provided us with many happy trips. A visit to Shearwater Crescent was never complete without Jim showing you a window or a door he'd installed, a rare guitar acquired for a snip, or a new feature in the fish pond, sometimes involving an old mirror. Jim was imaginative, creative, devoted, enthusiastic and energetic, which made the nature of his decline in health over the past two years exceptionally cruel. But Jim was absolutely sure that this life was a mere prelude to another. And so, as Charles said, this afternoon we celebrate his life and we give thanks for his love as a husband, father, grandfather, brother, spiritual guide and mentor, and as a true friend. Peter. Yes, we recognized him, didn't we? Wow. Wow. Let's sing again, shall we? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's stand together.
great song. Ralph and Coral have an instrumental to give to us. Are you going to explain what you're going to be playing to us, Ralph and Coral? It's, uh, be still. Be still and know what I am going. Oh, sorry. No, be still for the presence of the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, be still for the presence of the Lord. I'm going to be reading from Luke 23, verses 32 to 43. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, 
seeing you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, that this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, your word is a rich source of comfort for us, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us into the truth that liberates us, into the life that sets us free. For Jesus' sake, amen. As we celebrate Jim's life here among us, there's something special about meeting in a hall like this which is used regularly for the whole worshipping life of a community. Everything happens here. Holy Communion, prayer, celebration, baptisms, weddings, funerals. All of life happens here. And death reminds us, if we needed it, that there is something wrong with God's beautiful world. It reminds us of our mortality and interestingly provokes often simultaneously contradictory emotions. We are at the same moment highly glad, highly delighted that Jim as a follower of Jesus is now entering into his reward and deeply sad that we've lost someone that we've loved. And that's how it's going to be. But it's not always going to be like this. Many struggle to know what to say in the face of death. And one phrase that's often used, and said in a, it can be said in a variety of ways, but often said with a shrug of the shoulder, is a kind of life goes on. Well, it does. It goes on for Jim, and it goes on for us. For Jim, maybe more so than for us. He has some adjustments to make. As do those who have been bereaved. But life does go on and will go on. And we all have our favourite subjects. And I'm told that one of Jim's favourite subjects was paradise. That explains the reading we've just had from Chris. Which otherwise would probably strike us as a slightly unusual one. To read at a time like this. In it, Jesus makes a promise to a man who's dying and has moments to live. There are three men here facing imminent death. One innocently, Jesus, and the others justifiably. And one of the thieves in his despair mocks Jesus and demands that he do something to get them both out of this pickle. The other in his desperation calls out to Jesus for help. Remember me, he says when you come into your kingdom. Perhaps he didn't even know what he was asking. But somehow he thought maybe this man could help him. And the promise came. Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a wonderful comfort for a dying man. That very day he will be with Jesus in paradise. What a glorious prospect. Paul would write much of the New Testament and he would say these things. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. And so we can be absolutely certain that this Jim Beveridge, this wannabe pilot and experienced charter surveyor and guitar-playing pastor and good friend, is now with Christ. He is at home with the Lord. He is receiving the things that God has prepared for those who love him. What a joy for him. What a comfort for us. But that's not the end of the story. It gets better than that. There is a hymn in our hymn books, first line of which is, For all the saints who from their labours rest, worry not, I'm not going to sing it. But it has eight verses, and it records the joyful homecoming of the saints of God. After celebrating the life of the saints in the opening verses, and our communion with those who've gone ahead in the fourth verse, and their strengthening of us in the fifth verse, the sixth verse speaks of us joining with them in their present abode. It goes like this. The golden evening brightens in the west. Soon, soon to faithful warriors cometh rest. Sweet is the calm of paradise, the blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the paradise it speaks of is a temporary place, an intermediate place, a resting place of joy and refreshment, and we call it paradise. Because the following verse takes us beyond, biblically, where we were left in that verse, and says this, But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The King of glory passes on his way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I quoted a verse that Jesus quoted when he faced the death of his friend Lazarus and went to comfort the sisters in their loss and grief. And he made this declaration, which you could say, I guess, is the central truth of, if not John's Gospel, maybe the whole Bible. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And somehow or other, it has become the norm to think that resurrection is a short way of saying life after death. That if you speak of resurrection, what you're really talking about is life after death. And that is not so. Resurrection to Jesus' hearers means only one thing, that people who had bodily died would be bodily raised to life again. That's what it means. And that's all that it means. This is Paul speaking again. Because the resurrection of Jesus becomes a crucial fact in the history of the world and in the destiny of God's people. If Christ has not been raised, Paul writes, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all others. Thank goodness he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And his resurrection has profound 
implications for all of us. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in this order, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. For the central truth of the Christian faith is not that we will die and be with the Lord, but that Jesus is coming back. That's the reality. That's the truth we hold on to. The rest is a temporary situation. So, when we die, we go to be with the Lord is absolutely and gloriously true. And it's true for Jim at this moment in time, but that's not the end. Our hope is that one day Jesus Christ will come back to this earth in glory and splendour, and we call this his second coming. It's a truth repeated throughout the New Testament. And when, when Jesus returns to this earth, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And this present imperfect age will come to its end, and the age to come will be ushered in in all its fullness. Let me quote Paul again, because these are God's words, not mine. They are the words that bring comfort. This is Paul again saying, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Wouldn't you love to be standing in the graveyard here on such a moment? The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with him forever. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? This is poor writing. How foolish. Not me. You, sir. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. As is the heavenly man so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So the resurrection of Jesus gives us a wonderful indication of what it will be like. After his resurrection, his body had been killed and put in a grave, but he was raised to life with a material body with added components. 
a transformed physicality. He was recognizably the same man that he had spent three years with his disciples. But there was more than that because he had the capacity to do things he could not have done before. And he says Paul is the model for our new bodies. We shall be recognizably the same and yet have added physicality appropriate for living in the age to come. Listen to what John will say at the end of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, beautifully dressed, sorry, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Paradise, the place of rest and refreshment for those who die in the Lord, is a temporary place while we await the return of the Lord. And when he comes, he's going to renew the heavens and this earth removing all sin and its effects from his creation. He will wipe, we're told, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. The renewed heaven will join with the renewed earth, coming together to be the dwelling place both of believers in their new resurrection bodies without the former limitations and irritations and of God himself. This is what we look forward to. My friends, could you imagine this world without war, without crime, without fear? Could you imagine this world without pain or sorrow or loss? Could you imagine it without hatred or greed, or rejection, without death. A perfect world in which God's people will live with bodies, resurrecting bodies, bodies no longer affected by the effects of age, no longer damaged by the onslaught of disease, no longer broken by a stroke, but a renewed and transformed body. Can you imagine such a place? And this in the immediate and joyful presence of the God himself on earth, a place where all God's people who have died throughout all the centuries gather together with their God forever in his presence. And is this all pie in the sky when we die? Not a bit of it. Paul has a whole chapter on the resurrection and he finishes it. He finishes it like this. As we await for the coming of the Lord, Jim waits for the coming of the Lord. We wait in different places, but we're both waiting for the return of Jesus and we pray, come Lord Jesus. And this is the way Paul brings his chapter on resurrection to a close. He says this, Therefore, in light of the resurrection, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. He's talking to people who are still living. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection of Christ and our resurrection one day means that all we do on earth for God, in the name of God, in the power of his spirit, is not in vain. And this is why we can celebrate Jim's life today. None of it was in vain. And we bear eloquent testimony to that simply by being here today. And because we know his labour is not in vain, we know that as he lived his life to the praise of Jesus, as he walked in step with the Spirit day by day, as he again and again put his trust in God, each action he took, each word he spoke, each prayer he offered, was not in vain, but had and has eternal consequences. And some might be wondering whether they too might be included in this great company of people entering into the fullness of what God has for those who call on him in faith. Well, we, get, we began with a promise to a convicted and condemned thief, to a man who had ruined his life and was literally at the end of his tether with moments to live. And he has nothing to offer except his pain. Yet in that moment of asking for help, he encounters the grace of God. His rescue came simply because he called on Jesus. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So can I conclude by saying this, my friends, we celebrate and give thanks to God for the life of Jim Beveridge, who has already passed into paradise, where he joyfully dances in the presence of Jesus, eternally secure in the Father's love, he patiently waits the day when he will return with Jesus to the renewed earth, where he will receive his resurrection body and be reunited with those who love him and who love his Lord. So let it be. Amen. Let me pray. Father, you are the God of all grace and you sent Jesus to bring life to us. Thank you that by his death he destroyed the power of death 
and by his glorious resurrection opened your kingdom to all believers. We have your assurance that because he lives, we shall live also. And neither death nor life, nor things present nor things to come shall be able to separate us from your love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, you are the eternal God in whose presence Jim now is. We thank you for every remembrance of the life he shared with us and we commit him to your loving care. We know that for him all sickness and sorrow are ended, death itself is past, and that he has entered into the rest that you have prepared for your people. You are the faithful one who has promised eternal life to all those who come to you in faith. Thank you that one day when Christ appears, we and Jim shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And Father, you are the God rich in mercy and the giver of all comfort. We trust you to deal gently with those who mourn the loss of Jim as husband, brother, father, grandfather, friend, that casting all their cares on you, they may know the fullness of your love. Help them in adjusting to the changes that Jim's departure brings and strengthen them for the continuing daily round of life. Grant that they may not face life alone, but with the presence of your Spirit to encourage them and the presence of friends and family to support them, they may know the peace of God that passes all understanding, keeping their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me invite us to have a moment of silence. You may want to close your eyes and just say your own goodbye, as it were. We're going to sing our final hymn, It is Well With My Soul.
The family, Jenny and the family, would like to invite you to stay and enjoy some wonderful treats that have been prepared for us next door. It'll be a bit of a cram, but we don't mind that, do we? Finding a space. Your presence here has been very precious, Jim. Jim. That's perfectly fine. You've been asked by Jenny to put the chairs to one side or arrange them anywhere you like so it's more easy for folk to enjoy their food. But do stay. Your presence is very precious to us here. So the family would love to meet as many people as possible. If you haven't already done so, please put your memento, memory, thought on the tree here or give it to the family. But as we bring our time of celebration to a close, let's close with the words of God upon his people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.